Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news, and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Hello and welcome to the Tottenham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and Jason McGovern and, of course, Jamie Brown of Last Word on Spurs. Gents, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good. Yeah, it's been a, a, been a pretty good week for us, hasn't it? A good win for us and, and defeats for everyone around us. So uh, another good week for Spurs. And that home form in North London continues, Jace. How many games is that now? 27 unbeaten in North 17. 21 straight wins and it's 1,080 days. Blimey. That's obscene. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah, it was, yeah, really quick transition into the new grounds. It's been really impressive how quickly we've kind of made it feel home and... Um, the, the few games we've played there, we've kind of seemed to really get behind the team and, and taken to it very quickly, um, as have the team. So, brilliant start there. It's not been quite as perfect away from home. Obviously, if you were given a choice of Spurs fans of knocking City out the Champions League and losing in the league, I think you'd have taken that. Mm. But a 1-0 loss away from home with that goal coming very, very early, did you feel like you could have got more from the game? I definitely thought we we could have got more from the game. When, when you go down, when you go one nil down at City so early, obviously there's the worry that it could get a bit messy, and you just thought the energy we'd put in Wednesday it might be hard now to to come back into this again. But but actually, as the as the game went on, we we probably had the better chances than than mm, City did yeah. on the day. And I don't remember Gazaniga really doing no, that much until no. the late save from Sterling. What with about seven or eight minutes to go. And yeah. We we definitely should have got something on the day. <coughs> Enough chances with Sonny clean through yeah, twice and Ericsson one on one. So yeah, we should have got something from the game in the end. Mm. I think it just shows that we we aren't a better team without Harry Kane, as many people will say. I think the case is that many players in uh, just step up. The likes of Son, Amora, they've all stepped up. But I think if you'd have had Kane in that lineup, potentially we'd have beaten Man City or at least got a point. And I, th- I think the other good thing with the defeat was. 
I think even the, the optimistic fans would have said, yeah, we could go there and get something. But remember, we did lose that second leg. So yeah. City away is hard. Yeah. And with the goal difference thing that you, you yes. certainly starts to come in at this yes. stage of the season, when you go 1-0 down in four minutes, you start to think, I don't want to get a 4-0 Tonkin and, mm. and see that. So 1-0 actually wasn't wasn't too damaging because we've, we've, we still now have the yeah. best goal difference of any of those in the in the race as well so that was important for us <clears throat> absolutely and 1-0 looks less bad than it might have done after of course last night's results which saw Arsenal slip up and United slip up as well but of course at the time of that defeat to City you had no way of knowing that Emery would just decide to have a day off <laughs> were you worried about dropping points at this point in the season I think when you looked at the fixtures Palace going to Arsenal I would have said you'd still perhaps expect Arsenal to win that but Palace went to Liverpool scored three didn't they they went to Man City and scored three I think they played I forget they they did a decent performance at Chelsea or something so it wasn't a surprise to see Palace give give Arsenal a tough Mm. game and I think they're away form Palace they scored three at Wolves I think as well didn't they Palace so hopeless at home very very good away yeah but you would have expected Chelsea to beat Burnley that's for sure at home and and particularly being 2-1 up in was it 12 minutes you thought that they'd go on and win that game so it wouldn't have been a surprise if we'd have kicked off against Brighton in fifth but uh, but no the re- results were just mm. perfect for us yeah I think I think the thing is that just to get this top four sewn up as quickly as possible I was saying before the show obviously we're in the Champions League semi-final that's what we want to put our full focus on so to get it done as soon as possible and, and the other results have certainly helped um, yeah we're, we've gone a very long way to making sure that we're getting that top four this season and in the last few years on Twitter, we've seen the real emergence of the phrase Spursy. It's been used a lot, levelled at clubs who slip up late on in the season. And Jace, I've seen on your Twitter in particular, there's been a little bit of glee, a little bit of schadenfreude, suggesting that perhaps that kind of term has changed ownership. Maybe, maybe it's not so much that. I mean, we get criticism for <coughs> being able to beat big sides and then losing to little ones. And we've we've just been talking about Wolves, how mm. brilliant they've been this season. Yet Huddersfield did the double over them, and the fact that we're third in the league with that many points also means so many teams below us must have thrown some stupid points away, mustn't they? Man United losing four 0 at Everton, you know Arsenal losing at home to Palace. So there's a lot of clubs get what you yeah. call Spursy yeah. results. Yeah. And yet only Spurs seem to attract that, that criticism. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous how much. And Spurs, if you drop points, are always the one that bottle it. Mm. But you've now seen Arsenal lose two games oh, in Arsenal a row with a chase. Exactly. In the last week, <laughs> Arsenal have bottled it. But we're the only ones that ever get that, that tag yeah. of being the bottlers. And yeah. I think that's, that's what it gets. But I, I think Spurs have changed a lot of the perception, certainly within our own fan base, for sure. Mm. Yeah, I think another perception as well is before Pochettino, teams like Burnley and and Brighton were were games that maybe the way they played out, they weren't they weren't games that we'd go on to win. So that's the thing that Pochettino's really changed since he's been here, and um, you know that's that's really where we've taken a big step forward. We're able to to get the points versus these sides and just keep going and and mentally believing that we're we're good enough to win these games, even when they're extremely tough. So I think that's another very pleasing point that we've. Um, certainly uh, improved since Pochettino's arrived. I think even with Champions League football, one point from three games to be in the semi-finals yeah. and, and still be accused of bottlers and being <laughs> Spursy, you think yeah, there's a lot of teams would settle for that and that call us Spursy. And so, you know, Saturday's opponents is one that mock us for, for the failure to win a trophy and for bottling things. But yeah. 
ask a West Ham fan if they'd like to be in the Champions League semi-final <laughs> and third in the table, they'll bite your hand off for it. And with that, Spurs seem to be particularly in terms of the clubs around them, the only club who haven't in the last couple of weeks dropped really, really silly points, as mm. you were suggesting, the Arsenal's versus Palace, the United versus Everton. If you do get to a Champions League final, do you think you'll be accused of bottling still? If you go out to Ajax, who've already knocked out Real Madrid, already seen off Juventus, do you think you'll have other fans going Spurs bottle it? Yeah, but that, this is the thing with every team. I, I'm sure if we finally won that trophy and, and it happened to be an FA Cup, then everyone would still get on us that we, we hadn't won a proper trophy. So that's how football fans work. They always find a, a different reason to have a go at you. But to reach a Champions League semi-final, I mean, it's something that you know Arsenal fans, Chelsea fans at this po- moment in time can only dream of. So I don't really care what they think, to be honest. Whatever happens with Tottenham, they'll be called bottlers. Yeah. So, you know, it's simple as that. We have to go and beat Barcelona with Messi in the final, <laughs> otherwise we're bottlers. <laughs> but it's it's just as as Jamie says, it's the mentality of football fans, isn't it? The banter that you have to have. But. We're certainly not bottlers this season, that's for sure. No, and you certainly couldn't be accused of bottling it at that new stadium. The form there has been very, very positive. We'll be coming on to that in just a moment. As ever here on the Spurs Fan Show, we're very keen to hear from you. That number, if you'd like to get in touch, is 0208 70 20 558. Is that bottler tag unfair? And coming up, we'll be answering some of your questions. This is Love Sport. It's the Spurs Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio, and it's time to answer a couple of your questions. Matt LS writes, Just wonder what you guys think about our league form against the top four teams this season. I think we've gone slightly backwards from previous years. We lost to City twice, lost to Liverpool twice, lost once to United and Chelsea. What is needed over the summer to improve that key area next season? Um, I think, to be honest, it's... it's at the end of the day, it will be having a, a stronger start in eleven. I think there's certainly areas of weakness in in those um, in in the lineup, the likes of the fullbacks, as we've always mentioned. So I think certainly making sure that, that there aren't any weaknesses in those sides um, that can be exploited by these top sides. I think you know maybe maybe like the likes of Ben Davis against Sadio Mane those a couple of years ago. Um, so I think it's just about making sure that we're strong in every position and that that's something that we'll have to address over the summer, I think. Definitely a, a form away from home against those sides has been disappointed. Mm. Most of the times, even in recent years when we perhaps haven't won those games, I feel like we've we've had a toe for toe. And in fairness at City, we I thought we did play OK. But but for some of those games, we've, we've I don't know, we, we just seemed a little bit weak or perhaps there's... Been a little bit of lack of belief in those types of games this season. It is strange because our home form against them hasn't been great this year. But hopefully now we're back in in our proper territory, playing nice and home games instead of constantly away games. You know, I think the crowd will have affected us a couple of times at Wembley. It seemed really flat, didn't it? That City game played on an NFL pitch and yeah. and things like that wasn't great. But um, I think as Jamie's right, the, the disruption that we've had in the squad, not being able to pick settled teams, all those types of things factor into it. But uh, hopefully we address those issues in the summer. Mm. How do you think those issues can be addressed? Because looking at this Spurs team now, they are inarguably one of the best teams in the Premier League. They are effectively the third best team. The table, at least for Spurs, is telling the mm. truth. And so for Pochettino, the next target has to be to push up that table and mount a sustained title challenge. How can he do that? 
Look, you look at Liverpool. They were ruthless in the summer. They identified areas where they were weak, the centre backs, the, the the goalkeeper, and they made sure that they they found players that were that were of top quality and certainly upgrades. I mean, you know, they quite easily could have stuck with um, Carrius, but they decided that no, they want to challenge. They decided for they wanted to win. <laughs> exactly. So they had to go and sign a, a much more improved goalkeeper. So we've got to go into. I think we've got to go into the transfer market with that sort of mentality that um, that there's certainly players in this side that can be upgraded. I think as well, what the, the important thing next year, even if we do go into the transfer market, is fitness. Because, you know, yeah. if, if you, you replace three or four central midfield players, but three of those three or four come in and Dombele came in and Declan Rice came <coughs> in, but they all get injured, yeah. you've still got the same problems that we've had this year. And you look at it, when Yama and Dyer have played how much football between yeah. them this season, that's a, a gap for us. We had Harry Winks has hardly, you know, hardly played since yeah. Christmas, has he? No. And now you've got Sissoko injured. So even like I say, even if you strengthen the squad, those players have got to stay fit and we've got to have a little bit more. Well, Musa Sissoko's injury the other night just kind mm. of sums up the way the season's going, that so many have, have picked up so, yeah. so many injuries and then really struggled for rhythm when they've come back. Obviously, a lot was made of the lack of transfer activity for Spurs in the summer. Do you think that the reason why you've not been at your most impressive against the top sides is because of a lack of depth? Or man for man, is the Spurs' strongest eleven not actually up to it against those sides? I think they are. It's um, it's just a case of, you know, we, we've had the odds stacked against us in most of these games. We've had so many injuries, uh, players kind of half fit, so... Is that that is that that's pretty much been the case. Um, I mean, look, it'd be great if we can get look, the likes of Ericsson. That's why Ericsson has been another very key player for us. Because how how many games has he played for us this term and, and and managed to stay fit? So it's important trying to get players maybe in like similar to Ericsson that can that can last for that that length of time over the course of the season. I think as well, City and Liverpool. Let's be fair; they have been a class apart this mm. year. I mean, to to think that one of them. He's going to probably finish on 96 points yeah. and not win the league. I mean, that's yeah. that's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, there's 114 points available. The, the, the Invincibles, so the Invincibles won it on 90 points. Yeah. Like, that's just mad. So I think that's that's hard for us to, to close that gap at the moment. But, you know, our squad this year has been good enough. We've played Chelsea four times, beat them twice. Yeah. We've played Arsenal three times, we've beaten them. We've beaten Man United this year. Uh, and of course we're the other top six club. I'm trying to think of who the other <laughs> one is <laughs> no but so I mean that shows you the squad has been deep enough to 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 get the results against those but mm. like I say there's, there's been a few times this season when we've had a number of injuries in the same position yeah. and that regardless of the squad you've got I mean we've said you know if, if you look at Liverpool if you said Vinaldum James Milner uh, Cater Henderson. Henderson are all going to be unavailable at exactly the same time. I yeah. think they'll struggle. And I think Manchester City would struggle if Sane, Sterling, Aguero, David Silva were all unavailable at yeah. exactly the same time. I think that's a hard ask for any squad. And then we've hmm. had to rush these players back, like Wanyama straight back into the side, having played, you know, having not played for so long. And now he's suddenly having to play most games each week. And it's just, yeah, that, that, that's something that really have to pay testament to the players, I think. Yeah. Broadly, those Spurs have looked very impressive. Mr. Pochettino is certainly keen. He says, all very respectable today. And all I kept hearing from Guardiola afterwards is Spurs are an amazing team. With that in mind, I'd say it bodes extremely well for the remaining games and with a decent transfer window, the future too. He's spot on. 
but how important is that transfer window to that particular sentiment? Mm. We we definitely have to to strengthen and, and bring in some fresh faces, but um, hopefully the fact that you're now in a semi final, players around Europe can see a stadium. Yeah. I think Tottenham will. I've, you know, I've said it. I think Tottenham will. I think the part of the problem was last year they genuinely thought the players that we want to improve us, we're going to have to go up against. Manchester City and Man United and that, mm. and they will unfortunately always come up with a with a bigger bid and things like that. But I think this year, I think Tottenham will have a real go in the transfer market in the summer, and yeah. and so hopefully those those problems disappear. But I think that was part of um, Pochettino being talking about brave. I mean, maybe he knew that we weren't going to have the budget to go and sign those sort of players, but at the same time, he didn't want to go and sign some lesser players, and obviously that left us with uh, with with no new additions. So perhaps that was part of him. You know, talking about being brave and, and maybe waiting a few windows to 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 finally bring in the players that we want. So, I know a big part of Pochettino's transfer policy, particularly when it comes to not signing certain players, is because the psychology of the group is so important. That's something he's really concerned by. I appreciate that, but is there not a case at all for possibly going and signing some lesser players so there is a bit more depth? Because, Jace, we were talking outside about the team to face Ajax, and you were saying that for Pochettino, this could be a case of, well, I've got 11 players who are fit, and those are the team. It'll be a wonderful 11, but would it not be nice to just have a bit more depth, even if the quality on the bench wasn't at that very highest level? It's, I suppose you know the the tough thing with that is if you if you really want to improve the squad and you think, okay, let's take an Ndombele. It's going to cost you eighty five million quid if you want to go and get him, but you've gone and spent thirty million quid of that on, mm. yeah. I don't know, a, a bloke from Bradford go. City or something. Then you've only now got fifty five yeah. million. And you then can't afford Ndombele in the summer. So there's there's probably little bits of that. I mean, who knows how the transfer policy works yeah. at Tottenham, but. Hopefully, you bring in the players that you genuinely, genuinely want. And at the end of the day, had we brought in one of those, we probably wouldn't have seen Moses Isoko play this season. And he's ended up being the. It, it's it's a real fine, with fine margins in all sorts of things, yeah. isn't it, with Tottenham? Well, it's it. Pochettino is, is a very picky, and he didn't want to just go and spend a, an odd thirty million pounds to maybe bring in someone that might have improved us just a bit to sit on the bench. So I think it was a, it was certainly a case of that in the summer. Do you trust him absolutely with transfers? If you think that the only two that Spurs fans previously had said Poch might have got this wrong were mm. Victor Janssen and Sissoko. Now, Janssen has yeah. yet to come good. He may not do. But Sissoko really has been a turnaround. Do you have faith that Pochettino's recruitment is going to be pretty spot on? Uh, perhaps my one area with, with Poch on the recruitment side is I would like a genuine real type of winner in the club but I'm not, or maybe not so much a win. It's, it's that really strong yeah. ego yeah. type of player, and I'm not so sure he wants to do that and would prefer the the option of not necessarily buying cheaper, but of getting the younger player that he can mould exactly into his way of thinking. And the problem with that would come at a stage where, and it's, it's certainly not going to happen in the next year or so, but when Pochettino moves on, you then yeah. have a, a big group that are, are so ingrained into one way of thinking, a little bit like Arsenal with, with Wenger in that respect, that it can be a problem. But I'd like to mm. see a real strong person in there yeah. that, that has that organisation on the pitch when things are going wrong. But I'm not sure if Pochettino wants that type of player. Yeah. Why wouldn't he want that type of player? Is it a case of his authority being challenged? I don't know if it's if it's so much being challenged. I think he just likes to shape the the whole club in the way that that he yeah. thinks. 
uh, and so it's not being scared of a confrontation or something, but it's, if you think that, I mean, I've said it before, I think, you know, there's times in a game where you play out from the back and you think, you know, I think there was a, a stage yesterday where, where Vincent Company, for instance, looked back at Edison yeah. and you saw him go kick it long. And perhaps Vincent Company's got that, that presence on the pitch and you fear that perhaps if somebody did that at Tottenham, that Pochettino would say, oi, that's not your job to, to say that. It's my job and we are playing from the back so you get get used to it. And Do you think he's a control I mean. freak? Control freak might be a little bit harsh, but he wants to play it. In, <coughs> and at the end of the day, you're judged on the results that you're in control of. So if he's going to be judged on the results, I want it played in my way, not somebody else's way. Mm. I think certainly those those sort of characters that you speak about, I think that, that they'd go a long way in helping us at these big grounds. I think they'd bring that sort of experience that we need um, in, in knowing how to beat these big teams and, and playing on these big occasions. So I certainly think that... I think Pochettino maybe needs to, to change the way he does transfers a bit and, and I would like to see someone like that definitely come in in the summer. And in terms of bringing in those big players, as we see the Ericsson goal again on the screen in front of us and Jason pumps a fist, uh, one thing you were mentioning earlier, Jason, was that to get a top player, you are going to have to fight with massive clubs, with Barcelona, with United, with Chelsea, all of those sides. With that in mind, when Chelsea signed Aiden Hazard, Hazard was the number one rated talent in world football. And the reason he went to Chelsea, and quite a lot of us were quite surprised that he did go to Chelsea, was because they won the Champions League. That tweet that Hazard sent was, I'm off to the Champions of Europe. I am in no doubt that if Chelsea hadn't won the Champions League, Hazard would have gone elsewhere. Mm. Do you think that if Spurs were to win the Champions League, you'll be able to attract a much higher calibre of player? Absolutely. I mean... You know, you look at obviously we're going to win it first, but look at the facilities that we can offer, and uh, and you know they're going to want to, they're going to come to the new stadium, and I'm sure many players are going to want to be able to sign for that sort of club, and um, I think the Champions League would certainly go a very long way to doing that. It gives you a kudos, doesn't it? Let's be fair, yeah. it it does, and I think you know particularly this summer, depending on who other hell else gets that spot. I mean, if Chelsea's transfer ban is upheld and Arsenal were to miss out in the Champions League and you say for the second year in a row we're the only London club in it. No, take the take the rivalry away because we know that for a lot of foreign players London's a big attraction, isn't it? Mm. They, they want to come yeah. and play in London. So if if you give them Champions League football as a winner and you again those two clubs miss out, you should be at a, a big advantage and you are seeing the, the gap financially as well. I think Tottenham this year will go above, yeah. will have more turnover than Arsenal and that is because we've had it for the two years that they haven't mm. so you win it again and they miss out again that gap starts to go the other way then you can definitely start to, to pay pay some of the, the fees that people want. It would be a fantastic boost for Spurs both on and off the pitch. Just the small matter of Ajax to get past first and we'll be coming to that later in the show. Coming up they took their time but it was eventually three points against Brighton This is Love Sport. You're listening to the Spurs Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and Jason McGovern and Jamie Brown of Last Word on Spurs. And it took a while, but eventually the goal came. Ericsson doesn't have a weak foot, apparently, and can just score from anywhere with any part of his anatomy. 1-0, three points. But Brighton made it very, very difficult and didn't seem to have that much interest in engaging in a game of football. Did their approach to the game frustrate you? It frustrated me, but I understood it. Mm. But um, we were talking about it off air, where where Jamie thought maybe they probably deserved a point for the way they defended. But from 
from my point of view, I totally understand how they defended, and they, they were brilliant. Lewis, Dunk, I mean, he, it's old-fashioned defending him and Duffy. They just throw their bodies. It's it's not it's not the, the modern type yeah. of centre-half. It's the real old-fashioned Roberts and Paul Miller type of defended, and, and full credit to them. But but for me, if to deserve a point, you've got to contribute something to the game of football. Mm. And as I say, great defending should be rewarded. I don't mind teams that doing that, but... But try and do something in the 90 minutes yourself to, to bring something other than defensive football. But you can kind of understand. I mean, at Wolves, I think at Saturday, Brighton had two touches of the ball in Wolves' penalty area in 90 minutes. So they were even worse at Wolves than they were at White Hart Lane. So that shows you how, how difficult it was. Defensively very yeah. solid, though. You mentioned Lewis Dunk. His stats from the Tottenham game are incredible. 10 out of 10 duels won. Won 8 out of 8 headers. Completed 14 out of 14 clearances. Made two vital blocks. Won two free kicks. Managed a key pass from centre-back. Had a shot on goal and won a corner. So that's quite a good yeah. performance. And with defenders like that in front of you, was there a moment as it crept towards 90 minutes that you thought, hang on a minute, this isn't our day? Uh, definitely. I mean, it was arguably the most frustrating 88 minutes of my life. And there, and there were certainly po- points towards the end where you're thinking, oh, no, we're not going to come away with a point here. There was, there was moments where they, they came towards us. I do think they deserved a point. I think that they came with a clear game plan. And I'd say I understand that because it would be crazy to go toe to toe with a team like Tottenham away from home. So I think they're well within their rights to, to, to play like that. But I think you will give the players and, and the management of, of Tottenham real credit because, you know, there was so much patience. The fans certainly lost a lot of patience. I think in, in certain areas of the ground, it was, um, you know, the atmosphere was a bit toxic at times, you know. But so absolute credit to the players and, and Christian Eriksen um, showing exactly what an important player he is to keep going and, and, and to have that one moment of magic. And, and that's that's why you keep players like Christian Eriksen on the pitch because he can produce a moment like that. Um, and although he's he's shown some very disappointing performances of late, that's what he can do. And uh, that's why it's really important to keep a player like that in the team and, and stick behind him as fans. I, I was, was quite calm even at 88 minutes. I always thought we will get... A, I always find that it doesn't matter, again, who the teams are. If you put a side under pressure when it gets to 90 minutes and beyond invariably you end up getting a chance. It's whether you take the chance or not mm. that's the big thing. And we had it with Burnley at, at Wembley where I think it was 95 minutes <coughs> and eventually mm. something fell for us. We had it, new, even the Newcastle game at Wembley was, was what, 82, was 83 Son, minutes when Sonny had a shot and the goalkeeper ends up making a mistake, doesn't he? And and sometimes it can be yeah. that, that the team that's got that point and has worked so hard for it, the closer and closer they get to it, the more they kind of lose a bit of concentration and start to think it's coming, it's coming, it's we're definitely all right. And you just switch off for that second. And sometimes it can be a ricochet or a deflection, but something falls. And like I say, I'm always confident we'll get the chance. It's whether you take it. Uh, a Fulham, Fulham away when Winksy won it with pretty yep. much the last touch of the yep. ball, wasn't it? So we have done that a lot this season. So no, I was was quite calm, but concerned. Concerned. <laughs> calm but concerned. The three points, of course, was the main concern for Tottenham. They got that. But speaking of concern, the attendance for the game listed at 56,251. Mm. 
storming a teacup or is this a sign of perhaps struggling to fill this new it's, bigger ground for smaller games? It's, it's just it's lost through segregation and, and stuff like that. I think you look at the corporate areas, they include that as well. So that, that a lot of that was empty. But you look around the ground, there's not many, there's no empty seats anywhere. It's just so I do think it's rubbish that people are bringing that up. Um, and credit to the credit to Spurs for for publishing the real figures. I mean, we know that a lot down the road, like to publish sixty thousand when it's clearly not. It's about forty five thousand. So, I think it's a case of that it's lost in in certain areas of the ground to segregation and and in the hospital and the the nice areas. I think as well part of that, you know, Brighton. Let's let's not forget Brighton was a rearranged fixture. It wasn't played at the hmm. the scheduled date, and you're playing that in amongst two Champions League games that. <laughs> Big, big money for a quarter-final and a semi-final. And you've got a Category A game against West Ham pricing-wise this Saturday. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have spent two, three hundred quid on tickets at Tottenham before the Brighton game. And and it's, you know, in in today's modern world, you can't justify going and spending huge money just on football matches, can you? So it's live on the box. So I'm not surprised one or two thought, no, I'll let my ticket go on exchange. And, you know, you've got Ajax next Wednesday. Yeah. yeah, and that is the focus. So important to have got those three points. It was eventually Christian Eriksen who tied them up for Spurs. And coming up, we'll be discussing just how important he is. This is Love Sport. Christian Eriksen has come in for a fair bit of stick recently. There have been mm. suggestions that his head has been turned by reported interest from Real Madrid. He hasn't, by his own high standards, been quite at the level that certain Spurs fans mm. have come to expect of him. But then, when the chips are down and you need a man to step up in the absence of Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen was that man, even when he's not been quite at his best. How important has he been this season? I think he's hugely important for Spurs. I mean, I've been a guy that's very critical of him, but as of late, um, and his performance hasn't been great. But um, for me, I think it's confidence. I think he's had a run of games where things aren't going right for him. Um, and when that happens, you're always going to be very short of confidence. And, and that's why I kind of put his poor form down to at the moment. Um in terms of in terms of keeping him, it's looking fairly positive at the moment. Um, it, it just depends on on what these clubs like the Barcelona and Real Madrid and uh, what their transfer plans are. Obviously, you know Barcelona spent a huge amount on Coutinho, and it's whether they have the funds to actually be able to bring him in. I'm sure that's where he wants to go, but you know whether they're going to have that that chance to bring him in. Of course, Real Madrid as well. They're looking at Eden Hazard. They're going to spend a huge amount on him possibly Paul Pogba as well so I think that the big saving grace for us in keeping Ericsson will be um, will be whether Real Madrid and Barcelona actually have the funds and capacity to be able to bring him in this summer I think as well with with him it's it's worth remembering it's not just that Brighton game it was him that scored the Burnley late winner it was him that scored the Inter Milan late winner all all valuable one or vital one nil wins for us this season so and I think you know with with Christian Ericsson it, it has been difficult for him certainly since Christmas, but Kane's been in and out of the side. Uh, mm. Deli Alley hasn't been able to make the runs beyond, <coughs> so that's another one of his traditional passing yeah. and assist routes that, that's not open to him. You saw that that Saturday. But what he always tries to do, I find Christensen, he wants to create. And, mm. you know, when you looked at the goal on um, against Brighton, the ball, first of all, found its way out to Trips, who could actually ping in across because there's so much room for him to do it. But he chooses to pass straight yeah. in field to, to Toby. Toby then has a chance of 
hit a, a decent ball into Ericsson, he goes sideways as well. Mm. So the ball takes its time to filter to Ericsson, but as soon as he got it, he wants to look forward and he wants to find that pass. Mm. And, and against that mass defence, the way it's parked, and if they're closing your angles off and Lorente's movement's not great and things like that, yeah. it's very difficult to find that that ball but because you're the one that's trying to do it and so you're the one that gives the ball away you get you slated. get the size yeah. and you get the oh he's having a bad game of things he's set piece delivery on corners that's an entirely different matter <laughs> thing everyone would 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 i think it's right that we criticize him for things like that yes. but i think his general his general play he wants to create and he is our only mm. creative player in in that respect so i, I wouldn't be as harsh as as others have been yeah. and i i'd pretty confident he will be there next year yeah I think it's also worth noting just how much football he's played as well I mean you look at the the the, the attack of Sun Kane Delhi and Ericsson uh the other three have all missed a lot of a lot of football and they've been had the chance to rest Ericsson he's had to keep going for from pretty much the whole season so obviously it's going to be a case of fatigue and, and and he's played and it's not just this season he's played over the last five seasons he's played a huge amount of football so there's certainly going to be an element of fatigue in there I think and I think as well, it, it depends how you ask the player. It was, I think that uh, I think the comments after the game was they look to play wide in the first half. Mm. So if he's got the ball and he's being told look to play wide, you are going to pass it wide rather than going straight through the middle. Yeah. And in the second half, they were, I think it was, wasn't it? Danny Rose who said they were, were told to shoot a lot more. Or was it Ericsson himself that said? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they were told Ericsson, to shoot yeah. from outside the box. So if that's what you're being told at half time, and you try and do a fancy dribble and lose the ball. You're obviously going to, as we said earlier, that's when Pochettino's going to say, why Why are you playing that way? So, you know, it's some of it is following the team orders and you're never sure exactly what the orders they're given to go on the pitch with. So, mm. you know, it's, he's, he's been disappointing since Christmas, but he's still a fantastic player, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, and there perhaps needs to be a little bit of leeway shown. Talking of players who haven't quite lived up to the high expectations we have of them. Deli Ali once again seemed to be a little bit on the edge of it at Brighton. He's playing in this deeper role. Do you think it suits him? We've had a great question into the show from Mark at Batsyface who asked very simply, has Deli had a good season? I would say has Deli been allowed to have a good season? Since since that Fulham game I think he's he's playing well within himself. I think you can see he doesn't make the number of sprints in a game because perhaps the, there's yeah. still that, that lack of confidence in himself or the hamstring's not 100%. I think he knows we're shorter players in so many areas. He's another one that, that you certainly can't have injured. He's playing a lot deeper. People still want him to be that person that's getting in the six-yard box and scoring without thinking with now there's no Moussa Sissoko. Yeah. He's about the only one that has to drop deep and try and go deep. And I think he's... He's being judged at the moment on his incredible high standards that he's himself has set without people making an allowance that he's just not able to play in that way at the moment. And you're, you're looking at, a, you know, he's almost playing as a, as a holding midfield player at times at the moment. So he almost he still almost scored the other night, didn't he? But yeah. Um, yeah. he's certainly not going to make those runs. Well, we've seen a lot of complaints levelled at Maurizio Sarri over the way he's been using N'Golo Kante. We know that Sarri is someone with a very exact system, a very exact idea of the way that he likes to play football. And he sees N'Golo Kante, despite the fact that Kante is the finest holding midfielder in world football, as more of an attacking midfielder. And lots of Chelsea fans feel that Kante is actually wasted in that role. Is there a little bit of a danger of doing that with Ali, where if his greatest strength is, is those late runs in behind, is combining up there with mm. Kane, running off Ericsson, 
do you lose the best part of his game by asking him to be more disciplined? I think you do, but I think that the difference is Maurizio Sarri wants Kente to play that way, and I don't think if you ask yeah. Pochettino, he really wants Deli Ali to play that way. I think he wants to be running off a of Kane, but yeah. you can't run off a of Kane if Kane's not on the pitch. <laughs> so there's your first problem. Could he run off Llorente? And possibly, but but like I say, if he's making those runs off a of Llorente, who the hell's in midfield? Because yeah. you've got absolutely nobody in there now. Skip. So I think. There you go. <laughs> so I think that you've got to throw that into the equation. Pochettino's probably... I bet if you said to him, do you want him to play there, he'd say no. But it's it's needs must at the time. And I think fans have to understand that. Mm. Mm. I think certainly his best position is, is playing just off Harry Kane. How many times have we seen him make a late run into the box and, and score like with a with a header or whatever? Um, so it certainly is a case of maybe he's wasted. But I think Jason's right. You know, it is a case of... Um, of, he's got to play there because we're very, very short of options in midfield. So I think that's just the case with it, Delhi. Yeah, and with those injuries, one massive subplot to everything that goes on in the rest of Tottenham season will be the absence of Harry Kane. Someone is going to have to step up in the Premier League and, of course, against Ajax in the Champions League. It can't be Son against Ajax. It could be Llorente, but he didn't seem to be particularly mm. sharp against Brighton. Is that a worry? Um, so yeah, slightly. Um, I mean, credit to him. I mean, the number of uh, important goals he scored for us this season. But um, I think with Lorente, you, you you play a very particular way. You've kind of got to aim for him. He he doesn't really offer too much um, in just his general play. Um, in terms of pressing, you've kind of lost that with uh, with Lorente. Really, is very conservative type of player. So. Um, it kind of limits maybe the way we play and how effective we are pressing from the front. So. Um, that's difficult from that respect. So for me, I mean, when you're playing a side like Ajax, I'd really like to see a lot of pressing. So I would probably favour going leaning towards like Mora um, as, as, the, as the central striker, um, just so you've got that guy that, that's willing and able to press, I think. Do you think you'd get more out of Eriksen if you played Mora? Because there would be perhaps more intelligent runs for him to pick out. Yeah, there'd certainly be a, a lot better movement. I mean, I've, I've defended Lorente at for all season for the impact that he's had but there's there's no doubt he had a he had an awful game I thought the other night mm. but and it, it kind of played into Brighton's hands as you said because it, he was quite static which suited Lewis Dunk everything that went into yeah. the in the air Lewis Dunk or Duffy won picked it off and I think they were quite happy for Tottenham to have it wide and ping across in thinking we'll, we'll defend that and he's not going to make that that clever sharp turn that that Kane or, or some of the others can do but yeah. It's it's worth remembering that I think Ajax will play in a very different way at at, uh, yes. at YR Lane next week than than Brighton will, and I think they'll certainly try and make a contribution to the game. So with that little bit of extra space, who who <coughs> knows if if you do play the two? I think he, yes, Lucas Moore on his own up front, but as we said earlier, you still got to find eleven players to take the pitch, and <laughs> if if Lorente doesn't start. Mm. Jensen's obviously is not registered, is he, for Champions League football? So I'm thinking, right, there's ten names, and we can't possibly play with ten men from yeah. the first whistle. So it may well be that again that you're forced to pick in yeah. Lorente. I think also keeping Lorente as a spare man, he's been so brilliant for us off the bench, especially in Europe. So I think maybe worth keeping him on the bench just to have that um, guy that can come on and do something different. Um, as he's shown, he's, he's shown that he's a brilliant player off the bench for Spurs. I think that the key will be is if you have got to play Mora somebody's got to get up there and support yeah. and get alongside him yeah. and, and be there. And if Delhi's playing deep, that's Delhi's natural role to be able to do that, yeah. but he can't do that. 
Ericsson, you can't push further forward because you need him to create. Mm. So I think you're going to need some support in some way for Lucas Moore. Yeah. And so I think you will have to go with Lorente. Yeah. And looking at Spurs strikers ahead of the West Ham game, of course, Lorente, not the only fit number nine on the books. You mentioned the forgotten man just a moment ago, Jason, in the form of Janssen. And in just a moment, we'll be asking, could there be a chance of a Tottenham career for him? <laughs> this is Love Sport. You're listening to the Spurs Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. And in football and in life, 20 months is quite a long time. If I didn't come into the office for 20 months and then I wandered through the door and said, right, where's the microphone? I think various people would look at me and go, who are you? That was what Vincent Janssen tried the other day. He's back in the fold at Spurs, having seemed to be a forgotten man. Could we see him be involved a bit more for the rest of the season? Um... Well, as, as we've mentioned, I think maybe we might not have a choice to other than to use him. But um, I think in the long term, certainly I don't see a future for Vincent Janssen at the club. I think in the games that we saw all that time ago, he, he certainly didn't look like a player that, that was good enough for Spurs or, or had the confidence at Spurs. Um, and, and I still think that's certainly the case now. I mean, his, his loan spell was in Turkey, didn't go very well at all. Um, so I, I think it just shows you that maybe he's just, just not good enough at, at Premier League level. Um, but maybe he has a he has a short term future at the club, and um, who knows? He could be a, a player that that might get a few more minutes off the bench um, in the remainder of the season. I think he's, we've we've written so many players off this well, season yeah. and, and learnt from it. I mean, I've never been impressed with, with Vincent. Physically, you thought he would be able to handle it. And his first few games, yeah. you thought, yeah, we, we might well have the, the genuine backup here. But after that, I think it's, what, four or five penalties and yeah. one goal from open play, and that's it. But it was was nice to see him come on. I thought the moment with Eric Dyer bursting into <laughs> fits of laughter, watching him watching him come on. You know, I don't know if there was a private joke going on or Eric Dyer just thought, "How the hell is he wearing a sports shirt again?" It's, <laughs> that's it's brutal. If that's it. what it was, it, that it is brutal. It could be, or, or maybe he just thought, "I bet that's Pochettino's not had any inkling to bring him on at all." But yeah. I suppose you know, if, if you were to to play Ajax and you you get a a result that certainly win, lose or draw, the, the game that the second leg is in the balance, mm. it wouldn't surprise me if, if he starts the game at Bournemouth between the, the two semi-finals just to keep someone fresh, even though Sonny would be coming back. So mm. there's a chance. And of course, that even the Everton game, last game of the season, if you want to sell him, go and put him in the shop window. And if he gets you a goal, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with that. I think that Look, if we can get this top four sewn up as as quickly as possible, I'm sure we will start seeing maybe players like Pochettino's going to rest, and he won't care if um, finishing above Arsenal's not in the bag or whatever. He's going to, you know, he will play players like that. So, yeah, maybe there's a chance that he might play like that. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. To I see. think Oliver skips and that you can yeah. you can see them playing those like Walker pieces and that because he will need to keep players fresh. That's exactly. for sure. And also, if Champions League qualification is looking relatively safe, it's a good opportunity beyond having a relatively thin squad just to blood some of the youth a little bit more absolutely and, and make sure that you've got players involved so that so that when they go away over the summer they genuinely come back and think right I'm, I'm battling for a place but mm. uh, you know, there's no reason hopefully Lamella can get himself off the sick bed before the end of the season and, and contribute something and we, we, I mean it was great to see Eric Dyer come back against Manchester City it wasn't a great performance by Eric Dyer but it was just good to, to have another body to, to be able to try to choose mm. from 
Talking of players who've returned to the Spurs lineup, it was another 82 minutes for Victor Wanyama against Brighton. How much of a welcome sight has it been to see him back in a Spurs shirt? Very, yeah, very much. So. I mean, I think every game, most games that he's played, he's been very good. So um, before his injury, he was certainly for me the best holding, one of the best holding midfielders in the Premier League. Um, so if you can kind of get those, get over this knee problems that he's had, then then that'd be great. But um, yeah, I've been very impressed. With him. I think against City, he had an outstanding game. Um, maybe not not technically, he wasn't so great, but I think the way he just put his body on the line and and put so much effort into that game was was really great to see. But um, look, if we can have a, a Victor Wanyama that that manages to get back to his best, I think we've certainly got a very good player there. Yeah, I don't know how how fit Victor Wanyama yeah. was. I mean, he obviously got the, had the start against Huddersfield, didn't he, and scored a mm, scored a really job. nice goal. But to go to City, you know, what was it? F- 72 hours after Huddersfield yeah. or four days or whichever it was and you know that against City you're going to have to work harder than you're ever going to work all season in midfield and so you, you kind of feared for his and there was a time in that City game where he looked completely yeah. out on his feet but then I loved his boot just booted <laughs> the ball into touch at one point was, was it five minutes to go well, just, you, I'll go yeah. for the line out yeah. but um, you know we all know if, if we can get Victor Wanyama yeah. fit and if he's if if the club think he can be as mobile as he was before, because yes, he's a big, powerful athlete, but his mobility mm. and his his strength and pace around the pitch was also a big, big asset to us. If you can be sure you've got that back, then I think we'd love Victor Wanyama. But the problem is, can you get that mobility from him mm. week in, week out? Because yeah. he relies on that to his game. Yeah, I'm sure that's why we'll probably see Eric Dyer on the weekend. I'm sure that you know, having having played just recently, it'll be it'll be. Um, Eric Dyer back into the lineup, I think. Mm. Wanyama also is someone who, of course, knows Pochettino very well from their time at Southampton. And he's someone with reference to what we were discussing earlier, Jason, who is very good at following orders. Uh, Pochettino likes to have sole responsibility for the side, for tweaking things. But do you think he failed to tweak things fast enough at the weekend? We've had an interesting question into the show from Kieran Powell, who asked, do you think Poch could have brought Janssen on earlier, considering we were literally out of options? He waited 80 minutes to make a change. I was surprised it took 80 minutes to bring Janssen on, but perhaps that's a highlight of Pochettino's lack of faith in Vincent Janssen. And, and even then, actually, it was a surprise that it was Lucas Moura that went off because you kind of thought he'd replace Lorente with Vincent Janssen, but perhaps he just wanted to change it up. I think, you know, it was, yes, it was a long, I think if you'd have had a genuinely full side to pick from and a, and a bench where you would have had Winks on there and you'd have had Eric Lamella or something like that on there, as much as some people don't like those players, I'm sure he would have changed it much earlier, but he probably looked at the bench and thought, I'm trying to force a win. Yeah. And the only player I can really bring on to do that is Vincent Janssen, who I've got no faith in. Yeah. So what's the point of changing it in that case? But, you know, it, it could have could have worked. I can understand why he didn't. No, I think it's a case of, um, I think he was going to put his trust in the players that he had on the pitch. I mean, as you said, you know, turning to your bench and the only person attacking-wise you have to come off is Vincent Janssen. It's, it's, it's just impossible to really change much. I think I think maybe he did make the right changes. I think maybe bringing Ben Davis on. Did we? Sw- I think we switched to about five, did we? So maybe that worked. So so again, credit to Pochettino there. But um, look, when you've got the options that he had on the bench, you know, there's very little you can do. And I, I totally understood that he waited so long to change it when he did. So 
Was was it a surprise to you that he needed to make a change? Was it a surprise that it was so difficult for Spurs to break Brighton down? Or is that just what happens when a team decides that, as Jason, you were suggesting earlier, they just don't want to play football? Well, I think we've we've had it this year, as we said earlier. I think all the clubs have mm. have had it this year when when teams show absolutely no attempt to play football at all. It is very difficult, and I mean, I, I said it would. It, you know, sometimes with those types of sides, I think a Brighton would find it easier to play against a Barcelona than one of the top sides would because they'll just set up exactly the same way. Whereas if you go and play Barcelona, you've only got 20% of the ball. It, it's totally an alien to you. Mm. So it throws the bigger sides out. But I think your Brightons, your Burnleys, teams like yeah. that get so used to setting up in that way that they say, right, that's it, rigid. You yeah. know, that, that stop the lines off, stop the angles to the pass. I noticed the amount of times Christian Eriksen picked the ball up. They put the, they get two players around him, one just a couple of yards to the left, one a couple of yards right, and say, go on, then you, th- you thread your pass through. Mm. And it's, it's so, so difficult to do it. So it doesn't surprise me if you don't get the early goal. And that's perhaps when you wish you could score from a set piece or something yeah. to just open the game up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this is why I was totally just accepted the performance. It was very disappointing. But, you know, when, when a team's got 11 men behind the ball, what can you do? How can you break a team like that down? So... For me, I totally understood that um, it was going to be a frustrating evening and, and the performance wasn't great. So I think it's just getting three points in a game like that is just massive because we saw Chelsea do it the evening before. You know, they, they, they struggled to, to break down a team that, that put that many men behind the ball. So, yeah, I think we just take the win and, and forget about the performance on, on a night like that. What do you think would have helped get the goal earlier? Would it have been a case of more width, more pace, more trickery? It's funny because the, the pace and width is, is the thing that gets thrown at, at teams. When you don't break a side down, people say, oh, you need more pace and width. And I can remember a game last year, I think Liverpool lost at Swansea last year, where, where Swansea at home parked the bus against it. And you think, well, you've got Salah and Mane on there, and that wasn't enough. We had Lucas Moura and Son on. There's enough pace there. Mm. And they both played wide <coughs> in that first half. Mm. But, you know, when you've got the width, you've then still got to cross the ball into the box and then your dunks and duffies are more than happy to defend it. And they actually yeah. want you to play it wide and do that. It's it's part of their thing. So sometimes you just need that little break. And like I say, that's perhaps when you miss yeah. the even the set-piece type of goal. It, it sounds agricultural football. You think yeah. if you can get your first goal that way and open it up, great but you know you do need that early goal against those sides but the frustration Mm. is even when you get an early goal in those games they still don't open up those teams they think stay in the game for 75 80 minutes and then they might try and come and have a go I mean Palace Palace did nothing against us for 80 minutes did they no well there you go I think speaking about the width um if you look at the kind of the fullbacks that we had Trippier and, and Danny Rose they're not exactly the most athletic fullbacks so I think that that was kind of understandable that we we did struggle maybe uh, to get crosses in and and, and trying to attack them from out wide. So I think that that was certainly, again, the fullback uh, area we always mention, but um, that was probably an area that certainly let us down. As you say, fullback has been a problem position for Spurs. You'll be looking to recruit new ones in the summer. Is athleticism something you'll be really looking for in those new signings? For sure, because, you know, look at when... uh, when it was Carl Walker and Danny Rose, they were just two very, very athletic players at the time um, who, who were fantastic at getting forward and we were a real threat um, from fullbacks area. But um, when you've got players like Kieran Trippier, who I think one of the only assets of, of Trippier is his crossing. Otherwise, his defending's not that great. And um, 
uh, and athletic wise he's he's not the greatest and the same with maybe Ben Davis and um and maybe not so much Danny Rose anymore um so that's certainly an area that um I'd like to see us really strengthen because when we had the likes of Carl Walker and as I mentioned Carl Walker and Danny Rose I think we were just such an effective team and that's what Pochettino really seemed to like so I'd like to see us try and maybe move more back to that sort of fullback. Well, one man who Spurs could look to is a certain Talia Fico who plays for, oh yeah, a certain Ajax who are up next for Spurs in the Champions League. Pochettino will get to have a good look at him up close and personal. And coming up on the Spurs Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio, we'll be looking ahead to Ajax. We'll also be looking ahead to a massive Premier League game against West Ham and Victor Janssen's party. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the Spurs Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and Jason McGovern and Jamie Brown of Last Word on Spurs. And last up for Spurs in the Premier League, it was Brighton and Hove Albion. Their manager, Chris Hewton, has an illustrious history with Tottenham. And is there a case to be made for entering him into Spurs Hall of Fame? Well, I, I put out a tweet this week, and when, when I look at our, the players in our Hall of Fame, not the the legends that played the other day, which is obviously down to availability and things like that, but I look at somebody like Stefan Freund in our Hall of Fame, and mm. I think Chrissy Hewton, 398 games for Spurs, played in five cup finals, picked up three winners' medals, was at the club for 27 years. Mm. He's a fantastically dignified man, Chrissy Hewton. I can remember the... Um, the video on, upon Brighton's promotion, and he said the first ones he wanted to be there was oh, Spurs, yeah. and he hoped they'd be coming down as Premier League champions and things. A Spurs man through and through that has has always been the the, the perfect ambassador for Tottenham, and I, I find it astonishing when I look at that 81 Cup final side, and Roberts is in there, and Paul Miller's in there, and, and Hodds in there, and Ozzy and Ricky are in there, and, and quite rightly they're in there. I'm not arguing against that, but I find it astonishing that, that somebody that served the club so well for 27 years isn't in there, and it's it's certainly something I think Spurs should be should be looking to address that issue, that's for sure. Is he someone who you could see coming to the club in a managerial capacity at some point? I mean, obviously at the moment, Spurs are delighted with Pochettino. You'd be mad to look beyond him, but Hewton's managerial reputation is slowly mm. building. Would he ever have a place? Well, I mean, he's 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 had the job for the for the odd game here and there. Mm. Probably that that boat has sailed for Chrissy, unfortunately. But um, I think he's. He's at the the right type of clubs for yeah. him, um, and I don't mean that in a in a disrespectful way to him at all. But I think he's more comfortable at that level than having that high pressure. Mm. But um, like I said, it was it was a, a I found it a touch disrespectful that that some people were were name calling him the other night, despite the approach that Brighton showed. You can't forget that that everything he did for Tottenham for twenty seven years, and he's certainly not some of the words that he was called the other night. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Football is a fickle business. People forget quickly when they should remember. Of course, in the end, he did Spurs a favour in the sense that Tottenham managed to get three points off Brighton eventually. And that will have settled a few nerves in the race for Champions League qualification, particularly when you think that Chelsea have dropped points recently, mm. Arsenal have dropped points, United dropped points. You could tie it up with a win against West Ham. How important is it to manage that with games to spare? I think it's very important because West Ham's going to be such a such an imp- uh, tricky game because they've got no bigger incentive than to be the first side to the first wayside to win at the new stadium. So I think that's a huge hurdle that we've got over overcome. And I think 
now that we did get that win, I think it's pretty much the the final hurdle that we have to clear in in terms of getting the top four. Um, but that the win at Brighton is going to go a long way, especially with the other results. Um, and I will I will say it again. I think it's just so important that the, with the the semi final on the horizon that we just get it done as soon as possible. And if it can be at West Ham, then that'd be brilliant. I think West Ham are looking forward to coming there as much as anything to be the the first team to smash a seat or something like that. As, as actually win, win <laughs> do you a have game serious there, worries right? about that kind of behaviour? I wouldn't say you have serious worries because there's enough stewarding and police on 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 hand to stop it. But mm. I think with West Ham, it always seems to be them more than any of the other yeah. London clubs that that have that mentality. And, and it wouldn't surprise if they come and and want to create a. I don't know what the word would be. I, I certainly don't fear pitch invasions and things yeah. like that. But, you know, that that is the West Ham mentality. And I think it shows the level of the, the two clubs that, you know, we've got our shiny new stadium and they've just unveiled a carpet. <laughs> then, it is a very nice carpet. And then, are, and then we're looking forward to a Champions League semi-final and they're looking forward to upgrading the bubble-blowing machine. And, and that's the levels Again, of the two clubs. Again, it's a very good bubble-blowing It machine. blows a lot of bubbles, that machine, doesn't it? <laughs> and often, just before the referee disallows the goal, which is actually even funnier, which which happened yeah. this year, yes. didn't it? Oh, at, uh, at the council tip when they thought they'd equalised against us and all the bubbles went up in the air and it was disallowed. The council tip is a glorious, glorious phrase. Of course, in securing Champions League qualification, Spurs have a chance to, at least for now, secure their status as the top club in London and do it against another London side. How important is it to have that tag of the biggest club in London, the most successful team in London? Is it just so you can wind Arsenal up, so you can wind West Ham up? Or actually, is there a more significant element there? I think for the reasons we said earlier, I think at the moment um, when you're trying to attract players to be the, the top London club, to be seen to be mm. the side that's that's moving forward quickest is important. But, you know, the flip side of that is that it's it's only worth being the top London club if it's a meaningful finish. And so by that as a comparison, what what I would say is I don't really care too much whether we finish above or below Arsenal as long as we get that top four. What what I'd sooner be, if it's Arsenal finished third and we finished fourth, that's better for us as a football club than us finishing fifth and Arsenal finishing sixth. Yeah. Mm. So it's it's what prize you get at the end of the season. I, I absolutely have loved two years of being above them and, and I hope we always finish above them. But we've got to take our eye on our own prize and concentrate on ourselves first. And mm. if that then finishes above them, then that's, that's the, the last piece of cake in there. So will it not bother you potentially taking stick from Arsenal fans who would then be going, oh, Spurs are bottlers, we finished above you, all of the St. Totteringham's Day rubbish. Yeah. Would that would you water off a duck's back? Well, I think finishing fourth and being Champions League winners to their third <laughs> and having St. Totteringham's Day would, wouldn't bother me in the least. And that's what I mean. You, you look at your own prize and what you can bring to the club first and then perhaps at the end of the season, if you've got yeah. no trophy to show for it and Arsenal have got no trophy to show for it, but you finish above them, that's the, the last piece... Yeah, I think if if we can get it done on on the top four done on uh, on Saturday, then look, I, I'd be looking ahead to. Um, I wouldn't be worrying about Arsenal and finishing above them. I'd be worrying just about our Champions League semi-finals and, and making sure that we're fully f- fresh for them in in terms of maybe resting players against Bournemouth and and Everton, rather than maybe worrying if we we haven't secured that um, finish above Arsenal. I'd rather that we were just focusing on ourselves. And certainly, that as we've mentioned, that's what Pochettino is going to be doing. He's going to be looking at players that he can rest in between those games if the top four is in the bag come Sunday. 
after Saturday. I definitely think we will finish above them, though. It, it's not a case of having to settle no. for no. for it. I think we'll, we will finish now as London's top club. I mean, Chelsea go to Man United this weekend, and yeah. you can't you kind of can't see either side winning that. But neither side are good enough to draw it at times. <laughs> One of those funny games, but uh, and Arsenal still have that that really tough game at Leicester. So I, I think it. I think if Tottenham lost to West Ham Saturday, they'll still finish third. I think it's, it, as I said, I do think it is our biggest final hurdle. And obviously we've got Bournemouth away, which really that's a fixture. I'd really hope we'd be winning, especially as they haven't got very little to play for, if anything. Um, and Everton on the final day, I don't think their away form has been particularly great. I know they've been pretty good at home, but um, I do think that uh, this West Ham game will be the final hurdle we have to overcome in the Premier League. Well, the message from Spurs is clear. We're not bothered about Arsenal. The focus is on the Champions League. It's on Ajax and then the potential of a final against either Barcelona or Liverpool. Coming up, we'll be answering some of your questions and some of them will be about the Champions League. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the Spurs Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio and it's time for us to answer some of your questions. So Monty Thoreau asks at Garden Jardinage, if we finish fourth, Liverpool win the UCL, Chelsea or Woolwich win the Europa League after finishing fifth or sixth, does that plonk us into Thursday night football next season? Can the fellas do a rundown on the various permutations facing us at the end of the season? Is there any way Spurs can be playing Europa League next year? No, I think we can we can rest um, everyone's uh, thoughts on that. Tottenham Hotspur will definitely finish in the top four anyway, so that's not a problem. But the uh, the Champions League four teams go to the group stages. I think the Europa League winners, if they're English, would also go into it. So you get five teams. It's not anymore the team that fourth finishes. It gets thrown out of it. The only danger to any club is is Tottenham finished fifth or sixth and won the Champions League. Then they and the other the Europa League winner was the other London club that doesn't finish in the top four. Only in those circumstances can can the team fourth finishing fourth miss out. It's also worth pointing out. Didn't you say about the playoffs? The playoffs now scrapped for fourth place. Is that that's the case? Yeah, I, th- I think I'm right in saying I that the, the, the case, top yeah. four goes straight to the group yeah. stage as well. So there's not even a pro- there's there's no real disadvantage no. to finishing fourth over third, even from that point of view. No, no. so encouraging signs for Spurs. Would it bring you any joy at all at Spurs fans to see an English club win the Europa League as well? Assuming, say, Spurs won the Champions League, would there be any joy in a British dominance of European competition, say Chelsea won the Europa League? Can we move on to the next question? <laughs> <laughs> You're not, not entertaining that at all, James. No, not entertaining that at all. Hopefully Valencia or... Yeah. Who's the other one, is it? Uh, Frankfurt, Frankfurt, isn't it? yeah. They're, they're a decent team, I think. They've got uh, Jovic up front, who's, who's been a very, very, very good, good player. Good so, um, yeah. I think it'd be fantastic to see a Valencia against Frankfurt final. Oh, it'd be beautiful. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Okay. Absolutely perfect. Well, well, your views are certainly clear. We've got another question into the show from Jan Agri-Nielsen, who asks... How do you define a world-class player? Isn't Christian Eriksen in that league compared to other players in his position? Based on the last three to four years, the thought of fans not rating him, well, beside corners and free kicks, which he sucks at, his game is phenomenal. How are we defining it? Is it relative to other players? And does Christian Eriksen mm. fit into that bracket? Um, well, for me, I'd probably say top five in the world in, in their position. I think that that's how I'd probably categorise it. And... Um, Maybe Christian Eriksen. I mean, what would you say? He's a number 10, so um, I think he'd, he'd probably certainly be close to that list. Um, 
I, I am of the opinion that Christian Eriksen is probably world class for me. I'm probably a little bit fussier. I think you know, it's, it is. Everybody has a, a different view. For me, world class means could you walk into any club side in mm. the world right now and and command a place in that side? So it's not for me the top five in that position. It's the the top one, possibly two in that position. Mm. I think Christian Eriksen is a top top class player. But I wouldn't yeah, quite no. go as far as to say world-class player. I think, you know, we'll, we'll see in the summer if Barcelona's or Real Madrid's and that really, really want Christian Eriksen. Because if he was world-class, they would. But yeah. hopefully Christian Eriksen fires Tottenham to a Champions League victory over Barcelona and, and their opinions might well change. But but then, you know, I don't think Philip Coutinho is a world-class player and no. he kind of plays in that position for Barcelona. And is Eriksen as good as him? Yes, he is. Yeah. Would you agree with Jamie's suggestion that Ericsson's in the top five in his position, whether or not he's world class? You name the other five. That's yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. Um, he's he's in the, the like I say for me he's a top class player. I I don't know how you you'd rank them between the mm. you know the only ranking you kind of do is who's better Messi Ronaldo or possibly who's the number three player in the world is it Neymar is it Bao is it Luis Suarez it's not Suarez Neymar at the moment I, I, I don't know who it would be at the moment I suppose possibly Suarez you could probably make a case for Aguero sometimes yeah, yeah. And, and the strange thing is as as four three three kind of takes over from four two three one, the number 10 doesn't it's not as much as the number 10 role now, is it? It's your, your main striker that drops deep and yeah. your two wide players go in and replace him. So even as systems change, mm. that what I think of as a number 10 now doesn't seem to, to exist in a lot of sides. Yeah. I mean, who's Liverpool's number 10? Mm. It's a good, good player point. one, no. do they? Firmino sort of drops, but it's not yeah. as straightforward and Manchester as City don't have an out-and-out out number 10 anymore. David Silva's no. dropped back. De Bruyne sometimes plays deeper, so not... Not quite. I think that number 10 is in the 4 no. 2 3 1 is a, a genuinely defined role. It's interesting how so much of footballing tactics seem to be defined by fashions. Because five, six years ago, as you're saying, Jace, that 4 2 3 1 was completely ubiquitous for any top side, and a 10 was central to all of them. And now, suddenly, a few teams tried five at the back, which wasn't something we were seeing that often. Suddenly, that's the go to, and as you say, with a 4 3 3 as well. Funny how these trends. Harry, Harry Kane has perhaps played more as a number 10 this year for us than Christian Eriksen yeah. for, for a lot of the season. He's the one that's dropped deep and, and spread the passes out wide and that. So it's, it's a strange one. Mm. Well, we've had another tweet into the show. This one from R.A. Gordon 8, uh, who wants to drop a hand grenade into the conversation. He says, we need to address the behaviour of our fans. We're getting arrogant. At times this season, I've heard calls for Larice Eriksson and even Pochettino to go. It's not who we are as a club. Tottenham has always been home to its players so much that they all come back as ambassadors. Do you think that's fair? Do you think fans have been having a go at players they should be having a little more respect for? I definitely think our fans have, have done that to a number of players and, and pretty much every single one this season at some stage has, has come in for it. But is that... Is that just Spurs fans, or is that the, yeah. the mental? I think the the Twitter the Twitter rage that we live in, and Arsenal fan TV, and things like that. Of you know, I mean, DT Rent. I thought that was his surname the other day because you know <laughs> that is isn't it? DT Rent every single game, and I think that's just the way supporters have become. That mm. that that the social media has given them a chance to just slate anyone, and they jump all over the backs of one poor performance and, yeah. and things like that. And I think you know that there is the those of us that have seen Spurs in the 
in the years gone by that, that do remember watching Gary Doherty's and Kevin Scott's and Stuart Nethercott's and things. When you look at this size, you think you, you could never go back that far. But, you know, I, I understand the younger generation will look at it and say, yeah. just because we were rubbish then, why should we settle for being rubbish now? It's just modern society is that way. I think you, certainly if some fans had had their way, Ericsson would have come off against Brighton, so he wouldn't have been on the pitch a couple of years ago, I'm sure after Sun's first season, he was very disappointing. Many many of us would have sold him off. So uh, I think it goes to show that certainly you've got to stick behind these top players. And and, and you look at the likes of Sissoko and, and Hugo Lloris, two of our top formers in the Champions League this year. Players that, um, I mean, even I admit that I've called for their heads at times. But, you know, it just goes to show that they have two of our top performers and, and we've wanted them out. So... Yeah. Do you think as a player who performs at a very high level for a club for a spell, you earn respect, if not for an eternal period, for a reasonable length of time, where actually even if your form does then drop off or you have a couple of clangers, as we've seen, Jamie, as you say, mm. Lloris have, have you earned that platform to be able to say, you know what, I'm allowed a bad game, I'm Hugo Lloris? Well, I certainly think... Yeah, that that comes into it. I mean, if if I look away from Tottenham, David De Gea at the moment is having a a really difficult spell. But I don't think there's any Man United fan would would actually seriously sit down and think he's a liability to the club. Having won, he's won their what player of the year for four years yeah. in a row, David yeah. De Gea. And without David De Gea, I think they'd have been a real mid-table club. But you definitely, I mean, if Harry Kane went ten games without a goal. I don't think anyone's going to go on his back because we all know what he can do. And the same with Sonny and that. But mm. um, you do have to... I think it always helps when a player wins or has a massive moment in a really big game. It yeah. kind of elevates them. And the change this year in Moussa Sissoko, for instance, was that Inter Milan game, wasn't it? Yes. When yes. he was the figure of fun and suddenly we really needed a goal. He made that astonishing run crossed it in and Christian Eriksen scored and from that moment on mm. he, he determined a really big vital game and I think once you do that it definitely helps you. I think this is Mauricio Pochettino's perception as well. He, um, I think many fans will say oh, look, Eriksen's not playing particularly well at the moment. We need to drop him. Ali needs to be dropped. That's certainly been said in the past but Pochettino always sticks by these players and, and I think he's totally right to do that because as we saw against Brighton these sort of players that can produce these sort of ma- that, that little bit of magic that we need um, at any time so I think it's it just goes to show that having those key players and sticking behind them is is really important yeah top class players wearing Tottenham shirts deserve perhaps a little more patience a little more respect coming up we'll be looking at some more of your questions into the lads this you're listening to the Spurs fan show here on Love Sport Radio with me Johnny Burrow Jason McGovern of Last Word on Spurs and Jamie Brown of the Daily Hotspur and as you come to the end of the Premier League season as a top club like Tottenham you're focusing on the running you're focusing on Champions League qualification you're looking ahead to a Champions League semi-final but also there's a part of you as a supporter that's also thinking just a little bit further ahead than that thinking about that summer transfer window and where the club could improve with that in mind we've had a tweet into the show from Cat Spurs at Kate Cat82 who says the pace and power Zaha could bring to a game like tonight do you think we should be considering him as an upgrade on Mora is love sport Wilfred Zaha I think he's going to be he's a, he's a player that um going to be kind of out of our price range I think what's he going to go for something like 75 80 million so it's a funny thing with him because Palace keeps saying 75 80 million 
But he's not a 75, 80 million quid player. I'm sure he is in value to Palace, which is something that back of the nest say every time I have him on a Tuesday night for the Palace fan show. But 50 max, you'd have thought? The, the tough thing is for these clubs, Zaha is probably worth 75, 80 million pounds for them. So it's it's very difficult for them to to want to go any lower. So I think that that's the case why, why he is so expensive because maybe he's not, well, he's certainly not worth that to Spurs, but to Palace, he probably is. Well, Le- Leicester got that type of money for Mahrez. What did they get? Sixty-five yes. for Mahrez. Has yeah. he really looked a sixty-five million player? No. Has he added anything to Manchester? Yeah, he's come up with the odd goal or something. But that you know, Riyad Mahrez's biggest moment this year was missing the penalty at, at Liverpool, mm. wasn't it? But when um, we're spending that sort of money, we don't. Uh, we, you know, we've got Son, Delhi, uh, Ericsson, Mora. You know, th- that's not the areas that we want to be spending that sort of money when we know we're, we're, we've got limited resources in that in the finance department anyway. So I think the thing with Zaha is it is massive to Crystal Palace because he knows he is their star man and he, he must look alongside him and think, I've got Christian Benteke or Sorloth or someone. Whereas you get to Tottenham and there's Son wanting the ball and Ali wanting the ball and, and Harry Kane wanting the ball. It's an entirely different, different scenario. And I, th- I think as well, Wilfred Zaha on his day... He's a fantastic player, hmm. but we—I mean—we saw at, at uh, Tottenham what two weeks ago. He had absolutely no impact on the game hmm. whatsoever. So a good Wilfred Zaha is better than a poor Lucas Moura, <laughs> but then a, a, a good Lucas Moura, as we saw against Huddersfield, is better than a, a poor Wilfred Zaha. Would you take Wilf at Spurs? No, at seventy, eighty no. million. At fifty, no. I'm no. not even sure I'd do that. I, honestly, no. I, I think the one that you would probably upgrade, as, as Jamie said, is is Eric Lamella. But I, I'm not so sure Tottenham want a, a backup upgrade type player to mm. cost them 70 million. So, mm. no, I, I don't really see that. But um... Well, whether or not Zaha is the man, Spurs fans are clearly thinking about getting a player in his mould and attacking talent into the club. Spirano74 writes, Given that the new stadium looks like it will be a fortress next season, should we be investing in one or two talented players who can beat a man and make things happen? I think a lot of teams will play like Brighton against us next year. Surely we need more attacking options. Now, we've established that Wilf may well not be the man, but would you like to see some tricky wingers perhaps come into the squad? Um, well, do you know what? I do think that um, that having maybe one more um, with Eric Lamella, I don't think Eric Lamella's ever going to cut it at Spurs. So I think having maybe one more attacking player like that would, would certainly be... Um, maybe someone that I'd like to see come in but I think if we're going to bring an attacking player in I'd rather it be someone that can potentially play uh, back up to Harry Kane um, I know it's been so impossible for us to find but um, if we can maybe find someone like that but for me I don't think attacking players are really someone we need to be looking at in the summer It's strange isn't it because I think fans you kind of want that type of player the, the maverick yeah. type of player but as soon as you get one, you love them when they're playing well and then, then they'll try and beat a man yeah. three times and he loses the ball and everyone's immediately on their backs. It's yeah. it's a strange one. I, I, I think we do miss that, that player that can really dribble at, at somebody mm. in the way that... He, I mean, the, the goal that Hazard scored against West Ham the other night was putting rivalries aside. was just a fantastic goal, wasn't mm. it, the way he went through. But then how many of those players really are there out there? Yeah. And if they are we will be up against the real yeah. top clubs to go and do it. So it's, it's mm. going to be difficult. I think the one player that I still am firmly going to stick behind is is Lucas Moura. I mean, so he's, it's just flashes that he's shown and I would like to see it a lot more, but I know that there is a such a hugely talented player in there 
Um, some of the dribbles that he makes, he's a really difficult player to defend against because he can dribble so fast. He can almost sprint at players and that's what makes him so difficult to defend against. But um, I mean, when he arrived at, at PSG, he was just a hugely exciting young player at Brazil. And I remember him signing and um, the thought of him ever signing for Spurs was just, you know, it would have been amazing if you told me back then. So he's certainly a player that I, I, I'm going to stick by and I think will eventually come good. I mean, we we saw it with Son, you know, in his first few seasons, he he, he did struggle, but um, and 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 Lucas Moura has kind of been the same. But um, I I do really believe that Lucas Moura will come good at Spurs, and he's had his moments. He destroyed Smalling and United. He scored a very good goal against Newcastle, a hat trick against Huddersfield. He's hardly had a nothing season. Scored in Barcelona, scored at Anfield. So yeah. I, I think, as Jamie said, he, he you know people make the they misunderstand his 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 thing at Paris where, where because he wasn't playing much when we finally bought him the only reason he wasn't playing much because he had done for most of his Paris time was because Neymar came in and mm. when you've just spent 200 million on Neymar and you've brought Mbappe then and some of that is for cosmetic reasons as well with PSG then Lucas Moura became became a bit part to them but I've got big faith in in Lucas Moura as I said I think he's first season is very reminiscent of Sonny's first season. I think we'll see more from him, more consistency from him next year. So, But yes, I would still like to bring in that one extra option because what we have found this year is you've got to allow for, for a lot of injuries and uh, you know that may be it. So yes, definitely bring one in, but it would be Lamella, not Moore, that I'd look to replace. Lucas Moura is, of course, the kind of player who relishes playing against potentially wobbly defences. In the Premier League next, it's West Ham. They looked a bit shaky and were taken apart by a pair of Brazilians at the London Stadium when they took on Everton. Coming up, we'll be getting the opposition view from Will Pugh of the Love Sport West Ham Fan Show. This is Love Sport. That's right, it's that time of the show where we turn our attentions to Tottenham Hotspur's next opponents. Coming up in the league, it is of course West Ham United and I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Will Pugh of the West Ham Fan Show on Love Sport Radio. Will, evening, thanks ever so much for joining us. You were in this studio with me yesterday for the West Ham Show and you were a very confident man. You were saying, we are going to be the first team to beat Spurs at their new stadium. Do you stand by that now I'm surrounded by Spurs fans? Yeah, I didn't actually think I was going to have to back it up. Fact, <laughs> so thanks for that. My but, pleasure. Uh, no, I, I, I think, as I was saying last night, from my point of view, and in a similar way to the way we approached the game at Manchester United a couple of weeks ago, it's n- you couldn't really have picked a better time for us to play Spurs. Obviously, it's like just before the, the biggest game in, in their history. And... You know, obviously, no Kane. It, like I say, I'm, I'm not not overtly confident going around saying, yeah, we're definitely going to win three nil. But uh, I do think that if there, if ever there was a time for us to to get something, that that now is the time. Hi, Will. Um, I mean, I look at West Ham. West Ham is certainly a side that um, I always fear playing. I know they they always manage to raise your game against us. Um, but looking at your recent form, I, th- I think you've won two, just two of your last eight. Is that is that something you're concerned about going into the game? Yeah, to be honest, it's a, it's a strange one because some of the performances have been there. We just haven't got the results. I, I mentioned the Old Trafford game then, and you know, we were robbed that game. And we, you know, for us to not even to get a point, we we should have won the game. Really, one of the penalties was soft. Antonio hit the bar. We we also had an offside goal disallowed. 
So there was a result there. The one at Leicester at the weekend, similar thing. Lucas Perez scores, gets disallowed for offside. We just fall asleep and let Leicester in at the end of the game for the equaliser. And I, I think we've we've certainly got the performances in us. So I'm not I'm not too concerned about that. And like you say, we will up we will up our game because it's kind of all we've got left to play for in the season. But I, I think the, the so. That's the thing. It's just uh, the thing that worries me is like apathy towards the end of the season. It's very much there's very much a feeling around the club that the summer holiday mentality is, is set in already around the squad because we're not really going to get we're not even going to get top half anymore. So the season is definitely whimpering out, and I think that could play that could play two ways. That could either fire us up because it's all we've got left to play for or they'll just turn up and think oh, it doesn't matter and you know if we only lose 1-0 to Tottenham that's no disgrace and, and just get on with it and let's go on holiday Is the key to you getting a result there the performance of Felipe Anderson who's who on his day has, has, seems to have replaced Payet as, as that type of creative player. But again, with Felipe Anderson, is one of those players on his day. He's a fantastic player, but when he decides it's not his day, he's completely anonymous. And Arnautovic is the other one that must have been frustrating since the, the January transfer saga was going on. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Arnautovic, and we've, we've all sort of given up on him, I think, really. No <laughs> one's going going into games. No one's really looking at Arnautovic and pinning any hopes on him since January. I've never seen such a transformation of a of a man in such a short space of time, which is a real shame because you know he was he was a big dog at the club before Christmas, and he was you know his performance he seemed like he was happy. So no one's pinning hopes on him anymore. And I think Anderson Anderson's a strange one. It, it is easy to to make comparisons with Payet. I think the difference with Anderson is. And he has got some stick this season. But I think the difference for me with Anderson is is that Payet was playing with ten other players on the pitch who were who were putting in eight or nine out of ten performances every week. Whereas with so, you know, opposition weren't just worried about Payet, they were worried about Lanzini and Sacco and, you know, Mark Noble was playing well, then Antonio had the season of his life. Everyone was playing well. Whereas Antonio's trying to do it in a team where he hasn't got that. He's he's surrounded by, I would suggest, some some lesser players, and also players who who just aren't putting in those outstanding performances every week. So I think there was there was far or there is far more individual pressure on Felipe Anderson this year than there ever was on Payet, and I think that's kind of easy to forget about. And it's his first season in English football, so I mean, if he has a if he has a great game. And fantastic, but I think some of the some of the pressure in the stick he's got this year has has been unfair because he's still our top scorer. Well, in the absence of Harry Kane, who in this Spurs lineup really worries you? Well, it's, it's got to be Hyung Min Son, isn't it? I mean, I've I've had a I, I think he's a better player than Harry Kane. Anyway, we saw what? earlier in the season when well, I, I honestly do. I, I think he's fantastic. I, you know his performances recently. He always steps up in the big games. He's always on the front foot. And I, I think earlier in the season, Harry Kane had a had a sort of mid-term injury where he wasn't in the team. I don't know what the boys think in the studio, but that I remember watching Tottenham then. And Sun seems to almost play better sometimes without Kane on the pitch. I mean, obviously I don't watch the team as much as you guys do. Am I right in that, or is that just ridiculous? I think it's just a, a slightly different role. He's he's more obviously as the out and out front man. But mm. I think you know, perhaps I think for me, we 
him and him and Harry Kane can play really well together. I think where that's yeah. come about is that after the last injury to Kane, when Sonny had, had covered for him, having come back from the Asian Games and scored in what five straight games or whatever was it was, it. Yeah, yeah. and then came back, Kane came back, we lost four. I think everyone looked at is that really impacting on Sonny? But I think when you compare the two, you've got to look that he's been in the club now for three years, and him and Kane have had plenty of games where they've played really well together. But um, yeah. And, you know, Kane's coming back from an injury and things like that. But, I mean, you, you saw him this year, didn't you? He didn't have Kane in the, the, the cup game at, at uh, the council tip and Sonny scored <laughs> twice that night. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I must admit, I just, I, I, you know, I, I don't go around singing the praises of Tottenham players too often if I can help it. But I must admit with, with Son, I just, I love the way he plays football. He just seems, and I'm, always scared I watched him when you played City at the weekend I thought he was fantastic from yeah. literally the first minute he picked up the ball does a step over puts uh, you know leaves Laporte in his wake and from that moment on he was just fantastic the whole game and I just you know he, he's one player who I look at and think you know in all your team obviously Ericsson's class but I think he's he's just he's just something else and I, and I think he's finally starting to get some of the credit that he perhaps didn't get earlier on, from my point of view, anyway. I think one player that's uh, certainly got a lot of criticism from uh, opposition supporters is Delhi. Um, what, what have you made of his season? Yeah, I, I must admit, I am one. I'm one of the pack with him. <laughs> I, I, you know, I know it's such a cliched statement, but I think he's one of the most overrated football players I've ever seen. But when I speak to friends of mine who are, who are Tottenham fans that go every week, they, you know, they, they will sing his praises till the cows come home but I, there must be some I, I mean forgive me if I'm wrong but there must be something in that statement and the old no smoke without fire thing because there are quite there is quite a growing consensus among football fans perhaps not Spurs fans so much but that that overrated tag does get thrown at Ali quite a bit doesn't it and is, is yeah. that unfounded from your point of view? I think it is. I think part of that comes from I think we talked about it a few weeks ago is that perhaps for his England form isn't he's never really grabbed a game for England in the way that he's done it big time for Tottenham, and mm. so people compare, yeah. you know, they look at the two things and think, well, he doesn't score much and he doesn't do much for England, so it comes into it that way. I think from a Spurs fan point of view, and we were talking even earlier tonight when he plays for England, he plays in an entirely different role and much deeper. Yeah. And you know, we had it with the original Gerard Lampard. You know, Lampard didn't score that many for England, but he was always asked to play deeper than he was at Chelsea. So you you can't compare the two yeah. roles. Yeah, you don't sound convinced, Will, but that's okay. You don't have to be. It's that point in the show where you know how this works. I'm about to put you on the spot. You knew I was going to do this. I need a score prediction from you, please, mate. Well, I, I can't. Uh, I can't change my mind on last night, so I'm going to stick with my. The will eke it one nil. Backs against the wall and peppered with about 900 shots on our goal. We'll get one or two. And, uh, and sneak away over 1-0, which would make me very happy. <laughs> well, he's a confident man. Thanks ever mu- ever so much for your time. Well, Will Pugh there of the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. Uh, that's on every Wednesday from 7 until half 8. Spurs, of course, have two games to look forward to. West Ham in the league, but the small matter of Ajax in a Champions League semi-final as well. And coming up, we'll be hearing from Alex Moretto, who writes on Dutch football for the likes of Goal and 442, to find out just how much a threat Ajax pose. This is Love Sport.
That's right, you're spoilt for opposition views this evening. You've got two of them because Spurs have two games coming up and I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Alex Moretto who writes on Dutch football for the likes of Goal and 442. Evening Alex, thanks ever so much for joining us. You know more about Ajax than we do. You watch them week in, week out. Did you expect them to get this far in the Champions League? Uh, absolutely not. Um, first, I just want to say thanks for having me on. But uh, absolutely, I did not expect them to make it this far. I think anyone that follows the team that says they did is lying to you because uh, this is, I mean, this has exceeded everyone's expectations. It's been, it's been just an incredible season all around. And, uh, you know, you, you saw the potential in this team coming into the year and you thought that they could make some noise. But, uh, you know, in the group stage, you saw it against Bayern and stuff. But to, to actually reach the semifinal of the Champions League, to knock out Real Madrid, you know, three-time champions, and Cristiano Ronaldo and Juventus in the last round is just is, is nothing that uh, I had ever expected coming to the season. It surpassed all of my wildest expectations. Hi, Alex. Um, I think one player that, that surprised a lot of English fans is Dusan Tadic. Um, I mean, an amazing turnaround. What, what do you put that down to? I think he... Uh, I think it's just a matter of confidence for him. Um, I think he's always had the he's always had the ability, and we've seen that in in flashes at Southampton and in his last stint in the uh, in the Dutch league with Twente. And you know, you knew he had he had it in him, and it was just a matter of I think he kind of lost that a bit in the Premier League, and he kind of lost that confidence a bit. And uh, he's really been able to get that sort of swagger back uh, in Amsterdam, and it's yeah, it's. it's been incredible. I think he's really flourished in the system as well. Ten Hag has done a great job of deploying him in, in positions where he's going to have the best success. And I think that uh, I think it really boils down to him feeling comfortable and confident in this team. Hi, Alex. Is, is the view in Holland a little bit that you're kind of favourites now at this stage to, to win the semi-final? Because Madrid and, and Juve, you would have expected to be knocked out. But now you, you've got Tottenham that aren't one of in theory, Europe's elite clubs. Is there far more pressure on you and, and perhaps expectancy that you can definitely now go ahead to the final? Um, I, uh, I wouldn't say uh, that they, we're considering ourselves favourites, but it's definitely one of those situations where you look at the teams that you've just beat and now you're looking at who's in front of you. And, and I mean, and Spurs are a great team and they've proved that in, you know, the last number of seasons. And, but the fact that they kind of have these injuries and they're dealing, you know, they're without Kane and Son is suspended. Sissoko's out. Who knows what's happening with Winks? I think it's definitely, it's definitely just some optimism. But, you know, everyone in Amsterdam is very familiar with a lot of uh, the likes of Vertonghen, Alderweireld and Eriksen. And I don't think anyone's necessarily taking it for granted. And they know that it's still going to be a very, a very close tie. And, I mean, you're talking about the semifinals in the Champions League. Nothing comes easy at this stage. It doesn't matter who you're playing. So, I wouldn't say favourites, but I think there's definitely some optimism surrounding their chances. Alex, Ajax are a club with an illustrious history of bringing really talented youngsters through back right to the days of Johan Cruyff, of course, currently operating. You mentioned them there in the Spurs team, the likes of Vertonghen, Alderweireld, Eriksen. Even in the scale of that tradition, of that history, is this particular crop of youngsters a golden generation for Ajax? We've got De Ligt, who's incredible, Frankie de Jong, who's already sealed a move to Barcelona. Is this beyond Ajax's wildest dreams? I think absolutely this is their golden generation. This is their uh, their best crop of players to come out of the academy since their 1994-95 uh, season there where they did the... Uh, you know, the famous won the Champions League and everything. I think that um, there was 
kind of talk about there being a golden generation with the likes of Vandervaart and Snyder in the early 2000s. But when you look at this team right now and just how many guys there are that have come through through the academy and what they've done for the club and kind of in an era of where money dominates football and now you're kind of bringing these guys through and to beat the likes of, of Real Madrid and Juventus with these youth players is just, it's, I mean, it's incredible and it's, it's something that was never expected. And, and to be able to do it again with, with these guys that you've, you've kind of groomed through your academy as opposed to buying these big name players is just remarkable. And it speaks to the success that they have in their youth academy. And, and what's incredible is that there's, so many more guys that are about to come through, like you're talking about the likes of uh, Carl Eiting and Jurgen Ecklenkamp, who who appeared off the bench against Juventus, and it's just a constant pipeline of players coming through. I think one player uh, who I'm I'm really worried about facing is, is Delit, a guy that Spurs were were linked with over the summer. I know he's he's an incre- he's incredibly effective uh, at set pieces. Do you think that's an area where where, where Spurs might be exploited by Ajax? Um, it's possible. Uh, Ajax aren't exactly known for their set piece prowess. I think that was a bit of a, you know, the delict goal against Juventus kind of kind of came as a bit of a surprise. I mean, they have some success with it in the league, but uh, against some of the better teams, more tactically sound teams, they they don't really score too much from set pieces. But um, he definitely is an aerial threat, and I think that uh, that it's something Spurs will be aware of and. When you have guys like Tadic and Shona and the quality they can produce from from dead ball situations, you're always gonna you're always gonna be a bit of a threat. Alex, the biggest question of all, of course, is how you think the game's gonna go. I'm putting you on the spot. I'm afraid. Score prediction <laughs> across the two legs. <laughs> I think that Ajax have been really lucky in the health department this season, which is something that a lot of uh, a lot of other clubs in the Champions League can't say. Spurs especially, and I think that just that health that they have right now and the no suspensions and no injuries I think that's just going to give them the edge I'll say without Sun in the first leg maybe they uh they nick a draw a 1-1 draw in North London and then they come back and win 2-1 in Amsterdam well he's a confident man Alex lovely to speak to you thanks ever so much for your time Alex Moretto there who's a Dutch football expert for the likes of goal and 4-4-2 interesting that all of our opposition views seem to reckon that they'll beat Spurs when in practice they almost certainly won't let's approach them one at a time first of all West Ham coming up is Champions League qualification for next year going to be effectively tied up for Tottenham by the end of the weekend? I think absolutely. I, I mean, this is, as I've said, I think it is the final hurdle in terms of getting that top four. Um, but I, I, I really don't think that West Ham's a game that we, we need to underestimate. I think it's, it's going to be a very difficult game. Um, the motive, you know, there's certainly no bigger motivation for West Ham than, than being the first side to, the away side to win at the new stadium and even get that first goal. So, I think it's going to be a very difficult match and I'm certainly not hugely confident. I do think we'll win, but um, I think it's going to be a very difficult game. I think if we approach it like we did the the two games at the council tip earlier where we really <laughs> concentrate on Every the game. Every time, <laughs> But it is the council tip, isn't it? But if, if we approach it in that manner, then I'm confident we'll get the result. My fear is that West Ham will be really up for it mm. and there'll be one or two players and maybe one or two selections with yeah. Ajax in mind yeah. mm. and that might just give us a few problems. But, you know, West Ham, when they come to Tottenham, always make it difficult, even at Wembley last year. I think they drew one of the games at Wembley and won in the cup game at Wembley, yes. didn't they? Yep. So yeah. you've got to be really careful. They, I think that when... 
when we knew we had those five games at home, they, it was always the game that, that you looked at and thought, that's the one we have got to be up for. But hopefully, Saturday lunchtime, mm. I'm sure the crowd will be right up for it and, and that atmosphere hopefully sees us across the line. I think we'll see, I, w- I do think we'll see a couple of, a lot of changes. I think we'll see like the Wanyama, Alderweireld, uh, the fullbacks drop out. So Foyth playing people like that. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be Foyth, you know, it'll be Foyth, Sanchez and, and probably Vertonghen in a back five and then and then whoever, Walker Peters might even play, Eric Dyer might come back into the team. Um Obviously, it'll be interesting to see who is going to go with that front, but I do think there'll be a lot of changes, and that could be a, probably a concern for us. Turning our attentions to Ajax, first of all, we heard uh, Alex Moretto there, our Dutch football expert, say that he and most other Ajax fans were surprised to see their side get this far in the Champions League. Are you surprised, if you're honest, to see Spurs in the semi-final? You were very, very close to going out in the group stages, and yet here you are two games away from a Champions League final. Well, if I'm honest, I think the one day where I I was really down this season was that draw in Holland oh, where yeah. we, we threw the lead away and got caught. And at one point from three games, I thought, we're not going to go to Barcelona on match day six and, and get a result there. But the two the, the two home games, I was always confident to win in. But then Barcelona made so many changes and, and we went there and got that result. But from that moment on, you know, Dortmund, I thought we could get through. Manchester City over two legs was going to be hard, really, really hard. Mm. So, yeah, perhaps there's a, a little bit of honest, if I'm being honest, a surprise yeah. that we've made it to this far, that's for sure. I think halfway through the group stage, I'd, I'd pretty much resigned as well. Um, but we really have grown in confidence over the competition. I think also the way we've we've kind of learnt from previous experiences, I think we've shown a real great deal of uh, European experience this year, certainly in that uh, Dortmund game when we went away and we, we produced that just that astute performance that was just keeping them at bay. I think that was just a brilliant tactical performance from us. So I think we've shown that we've certainly learned a lot, but um, I'm just, I couldn't, you know, a few years ago, I could barely imagine imagine Spurs being in the Champions League, let alone being in a semi-final. So yes, I'm very surprised. It's wonderful stuff and no Spurs fan, however delighted or surprised they may be, will be happy now, if we're honest, to miss out on a place in the final so close to it. With that in mind, you've got to get past Ajax, but how are you going to do it? Because you are limited in terms of selection. Kane is out, Son is suspended. How do you think Pochettino should approach the game? I think the first leg, as we've seen in in the Manchester City and and Dortmund ties, when we've played at home first, not conceding a goal has been so huge for us and and, and having that um, scoring an away goal potentially in the second leg, I think that's been such a psychological boost for, for Spurs and um, I think that's definitely played a, a big factor in, in us getting to this stage. So for me, it's about not conceding um, at, at, the, at the new stadium. That's something that we've, we've certainly been very good at um, in the four games that we've played there so far. So for me, it's got to be absolute uh, defensively astute performance. So hopefully we'll see a, a five at the back um, so that Trippier, obviously, you know, he's been a bit of a worry in the Champions League. So hopefully I think a five at the back would probably leave him less exposed. But yeah, for me, the first legs, we've just got to be t- um, so defensively tight. And then and then hopefully with some back in, in the second leg, then uh, we can maybe get an away goal. I just think for us, it's, it's very difficult for me as I wrote it down just in the break. I got Larice Trippier, Alderweire, Vertonga, Rose, Deli Ali, Eriksson, Lucas Mora, and then I have no idea what the rest of the team will be or yeah. who's fit or anything like that. Presumably, one of Dyer Wanyama will play. Yeah, 
does is Harry Winks going to come back? But he, even if I write down Winks, I'm still one player short of getting <laughs> to eleven. So that's the worry. Yeah. Um, I think Winks would be a massive boost for that's us got, if he can come big. back because it would allow Ali to just play a little bit further yeah. forward. And and but yeah, that clean sheet could be huge. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think. Um, I really, really would like to see a five at the back. I think we've we've certainly been most effective when we played in the Champions League with with five at the back. So, yeah, that's, I'd like to see that. In a weird way, I won't mind if we draw rather than win by a goal. Yeah, no, I think yeah, Ajax will yeah. be a better game yeah. for us away. If if the pressure's know, on a bit, the pressure's on them. Yes, yeah, Absolutely. I can see that. Absolutely. Well, it's two massive games. Very, very hard to call, but I'm going to put you both on the spot as well. <coughs> West Ham first, then Ajax. Jamie, kick us off. What are you saying? Uh, I'm going to say 2-1 for the uh, for the West Ham game. I do think we'll beat them. Um, and you want one for the Ajax game? Yeah. Oh, my word. Uh, I think we're <laughs> going to win 1-0 at the new stadium, and we are going to draw 1-0 in Amsterdam, and we'll go through and be in Champions League finalists. Wonderful stuff. And Jason? I'll go the other way. I've got a feeling 1-1 at, at White Hart Lane next week, and then we'll go to Holland and win by, by the, the margin we need in Holland and I think we'll beat West Ham. And you're both fully confident that you will get past Ajax and you will be Champions League finalists. Oh, no, I'm not fully confident because, look, whatever they are, they, we look at them, yes, they are only Ajax, but I think they've played so fantastically well in the Champions League and, and it's so true, you know, they, they've hardly had any injuries. They've had the same team. They've got all their best players available, so that's going to make it um, especially hard. It's the best chance we'll ever have. It's very, it. very, Got very true. It. Just enjoy it. Don't panic about yes, it. Just absolutely. embrace it. Your Champions League semi-finalists. Yeah. Yes, we're missing players, but my word, if you can't enjoy nights like that, yeah. you know, no, no slate in the team and things like that. Just get behind them. Well, that has to be the message. Get behind them and go for it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.